Hey guys, it's Jenny Owens from Homemade Happy. Thank you so much for listening. We are so happy that you're here and um, we would love to give you a 15% off coupon for our new course, Tackling the Tantrum. It is for this podcast only and the code is TASP15, T-A-S-P-15. We are super excited to see you there. Welcome back to the Task Talks podcast, podcast where we talk about all the goings on in the world of education, school, psychology, and other random musings. As always, I am your host, Chris Ponce, and we have a full panel today. It's been a little bit since we've all been together, so I'm going to let everybody kind of introduce themselves. Actually, no, I'm not going to do that because it's going to be like an art where everybody jumps in and talks themselves, so I'm going to do it myself. So we got Dr. Jim Baker. How are you doing? Hey, what's going on? Oh, I can't complain. It's good to see you again. Brooke Roberts, you are always here, so hi. This is Brooke. Hey, Hi. And then Kia Sala. Nice of you to join us. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Oh, I can't complain. How have you guys been up to? Your Thank silence you. is reassuring. That's nice. All right. So let's just get to the questions since you guys are on such talking mood. What? What? And I was wondering this because Brooke and I were talking the other day about this. So what is your go-to streaming service? I'm Apple Music all the way. Apple Music for streaming? Like TV streaming. So Apple TV. I mean, technically, Apple music you is did not ask the question. That's fair. That's so fair. Okay. You mean, you mean That's video? That's an assessment error, okay. not, a, not an answer. Wrong answer. So yeah, I'm an HBO Max measure, guy. There's some, measure, there's some measurement issues in that question. Fair enough. All right, guys. We need don't need to pick apart the damn question. We all knew what I was talking about. All right. Apparently not. Because <laughs> gave you an answer. <laughs> and, and you said that we talked about it the other day. So I, we were talking about HBO Max. <laughs> I was thinking uh, audio streaming when you when you asked the question. This has gone completely off the rails and it is not the intention of what I was really kind of hoping that I was going to get to. <laughs> to be completely it's honest. Record. It's a new record for off topic uh, discussion, like how quickly it happened. Right. So do, do you guys all have iPods? Speaking of that, you see they're discontinued now? I did. I actually had an original iPod touch. You still had one. No, I mean, it's lost to time somewhere. Okay. But I did have an iPod touch for a very long time. Brooke, did you have an iPod? I was into, nope, no, I didn't. I was in Creative Zen, and then I went to the Microsoft Zune, Z-U-N-E. Anybody you were familiar? one of the 13 that had a Zune? Uh, yes, yes. In fact, I still have it. Oh, use that as a doorstop or something? <laughs> uh, no, a portable hard drive. Nice, smart. <laughs> Baker, what'd you have? I did not. Um, I did not have money, so I was old school Walkman, a good cassette. I, looks a good cassette. And then you break it, and <laughs> there's nothing left. You try to like rewind it, feed it back through. Yeah. No. I went yep. through like four iPods that I all paid for. Every single one I paid for myself within like a year period because I kept washing them, so they like stayed in a pocket. Or I jumped into a water, like a lake, you know, off a boat with one in my pocket. Again, there was some real bad issues with like just complete disregard for like self-preservation. What's that? Judgment. Judgment issues. Yeah, judgment. or also just stupid. So, but all right, <laughs> enough about this. This Nobody even answered the original question. Let's get to our awesome guest today. We have two great BCBAs with us. Um, I'm going to go one at a time and we'll let them introduce themselves and kind of tell us about themselves. On my screen, I'm going left to right. So Jenny Silver Owens, how are you doing? 
I'm so good. How are you? Oh, I can't complain. Tell us a little about yourself. How did you become a BCBA and, and everything um, else that you do? Sure. Uh, it's a little bit by accident is really the true answer. I was studying psychology, got to my senior year of college, started interning, and then had an identity crisis. And I apologize to all of you guys in advance <laughs> because you finished what I did not finish. Um, but I had that feeling that was like, oh, I think that there might be something that I was looking for in psychology that wasn't here. And I didn't know what it was. And I fully had a crisis at 22 because my plan was always college, grad school, be a therapist. Um, so while I was busy having my crisis, I answered a job ad on Craigslist that basically said like, if you like kids, come do this job. Um, and I'd been working with kids forever, got a job in ABA on accident and like my third day saw kids speak for the first time and was like, all right, whatever is happening here is the coolest thing I've ever been a part of. Um, and that is what happened. That was 10 years ago. Then that's how I decided. I mean, some more details in between, but decided yeah. from then that my career path was BCBA. That's that awesome. Might yeah. first, <laughs> that might be the first positive story that started with. So I answered this ad on Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, 2010 was a different time. It was, it was a different time. Was still thing. <laughs> yeah, there was still some wholesomeness, I think, to the Craigslist help wanted and apartments and roommate section. <laughs> <laughs> so where'd you go to school? Um, psych undergrad was UC Davis and my master's is from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Oh, that's a first. I feel like it's a right. dumb question. I'm asking anyways, is it in Chicago? Uh, so it I, I was not. It is. They now have a few other campuses. So I went to camp, to school in LA. Even dumber question. Do they have a school of amateur psychology? <laughs> school of I mean, you could try. You could call them <laughs> up and see what happens. It's a community college route, right? <laughs> awesome. That, that, could be our, that could be our next business venture. Let's, what, let's start a school, a school of amateur psychology. Jesus. You have a very <laughs> large market on Instagram of people who are oh, ready yeah. oh, okay. for yeah. amateur psychology. So I think you have an idea there. It's kind of like that journal full of uh, unaccepted publications. There's a journal like that? No, it's just one of those things that I thought oh. would be fun to invent someday. <laughs> All right. We are striking out today. All right. Yes. Our, uh, awesome VCBA is Kimberly Sedovich. How are you doing? Hi, good. How are you? It's good. so nice Just, to be here. <laughs> did I mess it up? No, you got it right. I'm oh, really, I'm genuinely very impressed. No one ever does first try. <laughs> I appreciate that, Kimberly. All right. So same question as you. What do you do? How did you become a BCBA? Tell us your little journey, how you got here. Totally. Yeah. I also came to it through kind of a roundabout route. Um, actually, my very first job when I was like 15 years old was as a like office assistant in an ABA clinic. So I knew about it from a very kind of early age, but it wasn't my plan. I was an English major as an undergraduate. Um, I wasn't in psychology, nothing like that. Um, and then I moved abroad to teach English um, in Japan for a while. And I happened to work at a special needs school. Um, and I loved, I loved working there. And so when I came back um, from, from, from uh, working there, uh, back to the States, I thought, you know, I, I, I want to go into maybe advocacy or something like that, um, looking to kind of stay in that same arena uh, and got a job at an ABA clinic, kind of like Jenny, just sort of trying to pay the bills uh, and wound up just going, this is amazing. 
what an interesting approach to changing the lives of, of children and families. And so I went to get my master's in uh, behavior analysis. And that's kind of how I wound up here. So Jenny and I actually worked together at the same company for a super long time before we went off to make homemade happy. So we've been working together a long time. <laughs> that's awesome. How was the clinic experience? Do you guys still work in clinics? Um, I do. She doesn't. I do not. Yeah. But I still do. Um, I really like the clinic experience. I think we, the company where I sort of cut my teeth and where Jenny kind of cut her teeth, we um, did a mix of in-home and clinic. So kind of got the best of both worlds. They both have their pros and cons for sure. Um, but it was nice to kind of be able to cover all the bases and be able to do kind of what was best for each individual kid. Absolutely. And so I'm going to ask a question that's maybe an ignorant question. That's perfectly fine because I don't mind being the ignorant person on the sport. Um, but so I didn't know a lot of this stuff until my wife started working in a clinic. So can you kind of tell us what the clinic model looks like since most of our listeners are school psychologists or work in schools, kind of what's it look like in a BCBA or a behavior clinic? And anybody sure. can take this question or you both can take it. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll start. Johnny, jump on in if you feel like sure. you have anything to add. Um, but a lot of the time in a clinic, you're looking at um, like an early intervention model. Um, so you'll have kids that are coming in for a pretty significant number of hours a week, um, really trying to hit all of those core skills, communication, socialization, um, adaptive stuff, anything, anything you can kind of do um, with a, with a, uh, in a clinic environment. Whereas when you move in home, a lot of the time you're working um, with maybe a less intensive model, um, maybe more parent focus in that kind of intervention. Um, but yeah, that's what I would say. My favorite thing about being in a clinic is the opposite of what you guys get at school, which is like all of those kids are our clients. Yeah. So yeah. like to me, the most heartbreaking thing that happens when you're with a child at school, is like they finally go up to another kid on the playground and they're like, do you want to play with me? And everyone can't believe it. You're so happy. And the other kid is like, no. <laughs> no, we finally, finally happened. <laughs> in a clinic setting, we have a little bit more control over what happens because we get to go like run over to the other kid first. <laughs> like, yeah. He's yeah. coming and, over. And he's going to ask you to play. Please say yeah. yes. <laughs> and, and every kid has a one-on-one -on -one therapist. So there's always somebody who's there to kind of support them as they need, um, which is another really big advantage for sure. What's, what's the balance between helping a child working on a goal or whatever you got their treatment plan and then helping a parent, right. Develop their personal skills. Right. Cause there's a balance there. Right. Cause I mean, you can't, and again, dumb question maybe, but you can't just do it all and then like pass them off and like, all right, they're good now because they still have to continue these skills training after they're done with you guys. Right. I mean, that's a lot of pressure on the parents. I don't think that's a dumb question. I think that's entirely Thank why Thank you. I Kimberly and I moved from what we were doing to what we are doing now. Um, there are, there's a lot of ways that traditional ABA can miss actual functional areas of need. And a clinic model is a great example of that. Because if you have a child that's in a clinic from nine to five, they're gonna learn a lot. They're gonna be able to be more successful once they do transition to school. They're going to be safer, more in There's a lot of benefits, but then you do accidentally set up this dynamic where it's like, I drop off my child and I hope that you fix them when I come to pick them up. And then, you know, a direct therapist or an RBT is, it's not their responsibility to figure out how to undo all of that with a parent. 
And I think you see a lot of BCBAs who feel like parents don't care when the reality is like they've not been given the tools to make that happen. And they're, they're responding based on the pattern that we gave to them, right? And the pattern that we gave to them was drop off your child and go to work. And then we feel upset when they don't seem more involved. Um, so I think the answer is, is there a balance? And the, the answer is that's something that I think most BCBAs need to be doing a better job of um, because we can't treat parents like they're not a part of this and we can't treat parents who feel nervous about it like they're doing something wrong. Um, there's just so much that goes into working with parents that I don't think people tend to take into consideration. Yeah, because we're looking, you know, we're always looking to do something that's socially valid, right? You talk about social validity, um, which means that we're looking to target things that are going to actually make a relevant difference <laughs> yeah. in the lives of this family, right? Um, and you can't do that unless there's communication with, with parents, unless parents are on the same page as you, unless, um, you know, you're working with them directly to kind of bring those skill sets up wherever they need some support um, so that when you then, you know, have a child come home from school where they may also be receiving support or from a clinic where they're receiving support or any other kind of support system where they're receiving support. Um, parents then feel equipped to kind of step in and continue that those goals and that treatment. It sounds like y'all, you know, you kind of identified this area that's missing in this work mm -hmm. and, and improving that parent connection. And I know that's something in schools, we also work on, you know, is that, that family school collaboration piece, and that's a big challenge. So how is what you're doing now? How are y'all trying to do that? What does that look like for y'all now to increase that parent engagement and collaboration? Mm -hmm. Well, something that we were noticing a lot, because um, obviously we go to lots of IEPs, we talk with a lot of teachers and school psychologists and people who are working kind of in that school area. Um, and we were noticing, you know, some, some frustration from people working in the school saying like, we have these great supports, but parents aren't doing it. Um, and then we we're sort of seeing some frustration from parents saying like, school gave us this plan, but we aren't sure how to do it. And it seems kind of hard, but, you know, limited resources, and they may not be able to receive a ton of training from the school directly, right? So a little bit of frustration on both sides. So what we were really hoping to do is kind of provide a bridge <laughs> for that gap where if parents are needing a little bit of additional support, um, they, they can find it, right? Like we're able to consult with them and be able to give them um, almost sort of like the translation sometimes <laughs> of what may be talked about in an IEP um, that parents may say that they um, are on board with or say they, they can do, but then when it's time to practically do it, feel a little bit uncertain or aren't sure how to do that. Yeah, and I would add to that, um, the biggest thing that, that Kimberly and I want to be doing in our work that we know we weren't able to do when we were new in the field, that we have like learned to do, and so we don't say this lightly, is um, if a parent says, like, I don't want you to come today, like, the 21-year-old version of me would be like, wow, I can't believe this mom doesn't care about her daughter's therapy, the experienced uh, actual adult compassionate clinician gets to say like, okay, let's talk about why. Like what happens when I come over that's so hard for you to handle that it's easier for you to cancel? Because I know that you care about, you know, helping your child improve. So like there's something here that we need to work through. So I think it's not a one size fits all answer, but I think the biggest thing for us as far as 
creating better relationships with parents and better outcomes for them is not a not taking things personally, which I think is a, at this point a pet peeve when we see like, well, mom won't do it. Um, but B treating our parents like humans who have needs well beyond what we're asking them to do and making sure those are a part of the conversation and the discussion mm -hmm. rather than just, you know, spitting out a plan that we think works for a child and then just being annoyed later. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a, I, I don't think it's an uncommon viewpoint for a lot of people to have about behavior analysis that it sort of doesn't care about feelings <laughs> like, or it doesn't take those into account. Wait, I don't, I don't think that's an uncommon viewpoint <laughs> for a lot of people. Um, and I think that was true for a long time in the field, but that is definitely really changing. And we really want to be um, kind of on the front lines of that change, right? Of going, parents are people and they have feelings and these kids have feelings and they're important. <laughs> and we should be able to work on things from a behaviorist perspective while still taking into account the fact that being a parent is really hard and being a kid is really hard and everyone involved in this situation has a lot going on, right? I love that y'all talk about the holistic viewpoint of like not only treating the child, but also treating the family and treating the caregiver. And it's kind of like you're writing, if you will, a treatment plan, not only for the kid, but the people that are implementing that plan. Um, and I just love that connectivity and the continuity and care that you're providing in the home. Like I, I get, I get goosebumps hearing about what, what <laughs> the great things that y'all are doing. Cause I think it's a, it's an avenue that school psychs or even BCBAs working in the home wish that they could do. Uh, the closest that I've seen that's anywhere near kind of what y'all do is just the in-home and parent training that the school mm -hmm. districts might be able to provide in the home. Do y'all yeah. have any experience or advice for school caregivers that might do that kind of service to help families in the home? Ooh, that's a really we good do. question. <laughs> um, I, I always make sure I'm not going to talk over Kimberly because I feel like we both get excited. So like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to make a joke, which I was going to say like, oh, just call us, but that's in poor taste. Um, <laughs> I think but also, thing, if you guys have questions, please get a hold of also, me. Yeah, reach out. <laughs> um, I think, I mean, it's the same answer, but like learning from kind of the mistakes that I feel like I made in the very beginning, which is like, you can't take things at face value. So like, um, this is a silly example, but it makes sense to me. Um, we had, you know, a kid who was like, the worst thing you could have asked him to do was homework. It was like, and it, from everyone else, it was like, oh, he just doesn't want to. He's not applying himself. When the reality of it was homework was really hard and he was used to being really good at things and being bad at homework made him feel really bad about himself. So it made a lot more sense to him to kind of go into like crisis mode. Um, but it seemed like nobody was looking at that and everyone was just looking at like the homework equals tantrum equation. And I think the biggest thing is like, take a step back and look at what's actually happening and don't forget like you're, you have human feelings. This person has human feelings. Like there's probably not huge mysteries to what's happening in a family. And I think it's very easy to kind of pathologize and try to find something that is like deeper than it needs to be. When like, it's a very relatable thing to be like, dude, this sucks for you. Why don't we just make it easier instead of like, we all yell at you and take away your computer because you told me homework was stupid, which like maybe was a fair thing for you to say. 
Maybe he's just read the research that shows that homework has a real effect on academic achievement. Maybe that's why he thought it was stupid. Yeah, uh, yeah. he probably <laughs> has. He probably has. He is probably also coding Roblox games for money as we speak. So I have yeah. no doubt that he's <laughs> be fine. no doubt that he's looked into the validity of homework. <laughs> yeah, I would uh, say too. That'd be mine. Just to kind of add to that, I would say that some uh, certainly something that I did when I was beginning doing kind of parent consultation or parent training um, was not taking into account the reality of the situation. <laughs> that a family may be in. I think it's really easy to come in, um, you know, when you're coming from a quotation <laughs> expert viewpoint um, to come in and say, here's my amazing behavior intervention plan that I've written for you. And here's the 35 steps that we're going to follow every day. Um, but that may not be realistic <laughs> for a family or a parent to implement, right? So I think taking into account what's realistically going to be possible given kind of the time, the resources, whatever it may be, um, that's available to that family. Um, so let's say, so I, I, I should have said this earlier. The way I found you guys was through Instagram. You guys have a great little Instagram page. Um, and I saw it and I was like, these, these ladies are awesome and they're, they're amazing. Um, and they have great personalities. Let's start, let's set something up. And I was like, all right, they're coming on the podcast. So what does it look like when in-home consultation, like do they reach out to you? How do they get a hold of you? And I know this is kind of like jumping to the end where we kind of plug all your stuff, but we're already kind of talking about it now. So it makes sense just to speak about it. Which we appreciate. People, Thank you. Yeah, because people are listening like, all right, that's cool. But how do we like, how do I get a hold of Jenny and Kimberly? So, so, all right. So how did that come about? Like, let's start with that. How did all this come about? And then we can talk about how we get a hold of you. Sure. Well, Jenny and I had kind of talked about doing something like this a long time ago. So this has kind of been in our, 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 was a daydream for a while. <laughs> yeah, we've been thinking about it for a long time. Um, partially because of the things that we had talked about earlier, where it's like we're seeing some gaps, right? Where parents aren't able necessarily to access support. Um, and especially for parents whose children may not have any diagnosis of any kind, there's almost no support <laughs> available mm -hmm. if you don't have a diagnosis, right? Um, but you may still have a child who's struggling in certain areas and you need some help. Um, so we really wanted to be able to kind of address that as well. Um, so that's kind of, that's sort of where we got the idea <laughs> to right. do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then this one day you guys had to say, we have to do this, right? Mm -hmm. Basically the, yeah. the true thing, the real thing that happened is Kimberly, we, we both lived, I was gonna say we lived together. We lived in California in separate houses. Um, and then Kimberly moved to Austin before me, I did not ever think I would move here. But then when I did, we got together and we were chatting and we kind of realized like, if there was ever a time to revisit an idea we had, it is when the universe puts you back in the same place, like no longer as coworkers, but now as colleagues, like, let's just do this. Um, so that's really what happened is we just thought we let it go and then came to a position where we knew we wanted to work together again. I didn't know this was cross, really <laughs> yeah, I didn't know this was like a cross continental type of thing. So you guys, knew each other in California and then one came the other came let's start a business because it's the perfect time to do it when we move to a brand new area where I don't know if you guys know anybody so that's basically kind of what happened pretty much pretty much yep yeah we had we had joined the same company in California at almost the same time worked yeah. there for several years together and then I moved out she moved out stars aligned then it's fate then okay so all right <laughs> All right. So, so what happens? So parents get a hold of you somehow, and then you start up like what a conversation, you kind of figure out what their needs are, like a needs assessment type of thing. 
Yeah. So I'll give you the like structured version and then we'll talk about what that actually looks like in real life because very rarely are they the same thing. Beautiful. Um, <laughs> so the, the structured version is like you get a hold of us however you get a hold of us. So sometimes that is, um, especially when there's a diagnosis that can be through insurance, right? Is like we're on a list of approved providers and somebody reaches out. Um, we would like that to happen more easily than it does. We are learning the world of navigating insurance. That is a whole thing. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it happens very organically. Like if we're at, um, like, I'm trying to think of the last event we did. I can't remember what it was called. It was basically like an education fair where it was like different booths of after school activities and tutoring and therapies, right? So sometimes it's meeting in person and discussing something that might make a family's life better. And if we think that can be addressed by our approach that starts the conversation um, or yep, it's through our website, it's through Instagram, um, through word of mouth. If another client talks to a family, like we are a equal opportunity referral source. Um, something that we care a lot about is that we don't have any structured intervention. Like there is not a library that we pull from, like everything is created once we meet a family. So that initial meeting is like really important. And we do have some things that we like to make sure we do. Um, like we always like to do a functional behavior assessment. We always like to, there's certain questions we really like to ask, um, especially things about like personal values of a family to find out what's really, really going to matter to them. So those things always happen. Everything else is totally determined by what is showing up in front of us and what we think might be happening kind of a little bit behind the scenes. Mm. Um, I might have rambled, which I do when I get excited, but yeah. uh, Kimberly, do you does that cover it? Yeah, so we sort of will have that kind of initial consultation. Um, we then kind of will go away and build a uh, intervention plan essentially. And then we basically do it on kind of the faded schedule where the first month, usually we'll work on like a three month schedule, although that can kind of change depending on client need. Um, but we'll do sort of the first month is really intensive. Second month, we're starting to pull back a little bit, let you test the waters by yourself. Third month, um, you know, we're there for support, but we're letting you, letting you hit it yourself. Like we've now taught parents what to do. Yes. And so the first month is teaching, second month is practice, third month is making sure you can do it without us. Interesting. All right. Well, we are all school-based. So a good question. You, I don't, I think Jenny, you had mentioned that you, um, you'd been to ARDS or IEPs or whatever you want to call them. Do you so, so I, yeah. So both of us have been to IEPs because that's part of home services anyways. I was a BCBA, not in a school, but contracted for a school for two years. Oh, so I've, I've been in a lot of meetings. With you guys. Jenny's we, the school expert. For sure. <laughs> can we, can we talk about that? Cause I don't feel like that's super common so this was in california i'm assuming yeah yeah all right so so what was your job in the so i know it was contracting so what were you doing in the schools so essentially the same thing that we do in a home or a clinic so it was always a one-on-one -on -one, but if you take the parent training model but swap in a teacher like that's what school bcbas look like so it's still us creating behavior plans um and then somehow asking a poor teacher who already has like 35 kids and a million things to do, somehow expecting them to take on the task of implementing a behavior plan. Yeah. Um, which is a very difficult task. And I really feel for our teachers because they are asked to do everything all the time. And I think they get so much blame, which I think we can talk about because it's very much in line with 
what I feel like our parents are going through. Um, but it's basically the same. And then another super important piece of that is doing assessments in school because, right, like figuring out the function of a behavior where it's actually happening. Um, and everyone seems to get that wrong. But sometimes it's like very clear if you just spend a little time hanging out with your kiddo to see <laughs> what they go through during the day. Uh, but that's another very important piece. <laughs> no, no, no. And, and so a question I get a lot from like interns or frac students is, like I'm recommending these things to teachers, but teachers are, and they're things that make sense to us, but like things, right. but the teacher's like, I don't have time to do that. I don't have the energy. I don't mean, like, how do you navigate that type? And this could be for anybody that's here. Cause this is all something we all have. How do you with. guys do it? I think it's building trust. I, I, at least with my campuses, you know, they have to understand. And it, I, I have the benefit of being on the same campuses for like five plus years now. So they know me at this point, but a first year, and it doesn't matter the experience, but the first, if it's your first year on a campus there, that's going to be a lot more difficult to be like, Kimberly, I'm telling you, you have, if you do this, it'll work. And you're like, I don't even know your freaking name, man. Like, I'm not going to listen to you. <laughs> yeah. 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 But yes. six years in, that conversation is a little bit more conducive because they're like, all right, at least I will try it, maybe. But I still have to do a lot of, I'm not going to say hand-holding, but I have to meet them more than 50%, whether it's making materials for them, the board maker or whatever. Like, I will make you the visuals. You yeah. just need to do it at this point, right? Yeah. Jen, you're about to jump in? I was going to say... Um, it's just like what y'all were saying that you do with the, the parents and you, you consider yourself, okay, if I'm from the teacher's lens, what's difficult from this treatment plan? What can I cut out that yeah. is not necessary, but it will still achieve the same goal. Um, and then I just, it's a relationship piece of with, with the teacher and taking them through their own mini task analysis of like, okay, you can't just hand them a paper and expect that fidelity is going to be completed like it's just it's not gonna no. happen right. and so meeting with them on before after school during their conference period to say here's the plan I'm gonna show you how to do it I'm gonna model it I'm gonna mm -hmm. go through this and then sometimes I for a whole day will sit with the kid and do stuff with it so the teacher can see me doing it right. and then I'm like hey you try this and I'm gonna sit and watch you I mean just kind of what y'all would do with a, a parent that's what mm -hmm. we have to sit and do with teachers and but unfortunately a lot of people are not they don't have time either. They just hand them a piece of paper and expect yeah. it to get done. And it's not, and that's, that's very unfair to do that to a teacher or to a campus. But I, unfortunately I see it all the time or even worse, I mean, cover your ears. They'll do FBAs and ARD meetings and just guess at the function. Yeah. I've like, seen uh, it. What do you yeah, see, Jen? Do you see Mrs. Paper. Baker in the classroom? When does this happen? <laughs> I am. Um, so before I was a BCBA, both of us were direct, you know, they didn't have RBTs at the time. So we were direct therapists. Is that, is it, um, but I was in a special day class working one-on-one -on -one with a student and my, the teacher came in and she was like, the IEP is today and I forgot to do the FBA. Like, can you tell me some examples of ABCs you've seen? And I was sad for her, horrified. And then part of me was like, well, you know what? Great, because I know the function. Like I've watched this kid. So like, sure, I'll give you the ABCs. It's the right person. <laughs> can I ask anybody? But, yeah. <laughs> But like, that is, if you took all the kinds of supports, I think that every student would benefit from, it's just literally impossible to give during a school day. I don't even know that it's really possible for us to do one-on-one -on -one in home, but nobody seems to be putting that together in a pragmatic way. So what happens is everyone thinks somebody is dropping the ball. And then like, that just gets weird, I think. Um, but I what I was there's, not, there's not enough training. 
Like exactly what you're saying. Like there's not yeah. enough training for them to do that. And the equivalent for an LSSP would be like uh, us going to an IEP meeting saying, well, we didn't do the F, the FIE, the individual evaluation. So can you guess, do they have autism? Do yeah. maybe they have ADHD, just mark it down. Is he licking I mean, anything or no? Ah, shit. All right. It seems a little bit right. severe to compare it to that, but it is, it is. for a BCBA and FBA. Like that is your tool of assessment that drives your intervention. And that's what LSSPs have. Their FIE is their tool that drives what their interventions are like. Yeah. So, it's, but um, it's not as common. It's easily done to, to FBAs, but not to FIEs. But I think it's, and I, I don't know if this is a topic for, for another day, but I think it's a little bit too of a, a misunderstanding of what BCBAs are supposed to do because almost every FBA I've seen in an IEP is done by a teacher. Like they are not having BCBAs do those assessments. Um, this was like, I don't know. Someone will get mad maybe, but like a bit of a controversy with Los Angeles Unified School District. I don't think um, we have too many listeners in California. Kia, can you check on great. that? Fact check that, please. <laughs> and if you do, I don't think anyone will disagree with me unless they work at the district. But I they will say disagree. this is from my experience. It is my opinion, if you want to say it by the way. Um, they used to have quite a few one-on-one aides that were trained in ABA. They came from agencies that were assigned to a kid. They did not work for the district. They worked for an agency. Um, but it's very costly because you're paying a paraprofessional. So then what they did was they just changed the title of all of their kind of entry level, like on-campus aides, and they just started calling all of them behaviorists. They didn't change the training and they didn't offer any new BID support every now and then if the parent knew to ask for it. Uh, sorry, BID is BCBA. Um, but so they just like kind of pretended this service was happening. And I see the same with assessments. They're like, oh, anyone can do it. And that's a bummer for us. It's also probably a failure of BCBAs who came before us to really prove like the value that they could provide. Um, but yeah, so uh, that is part of the reason why we are very excited to be moving into a home-based model because our kids are part of families and parents are parents. And <laughs> yeah. we wanna be where we know our children, like our, the kids we work with, like want to be happy and participating in their family. And we know that parents want to be creating an environment for that. Um, what, and we'd like to be making that easier. So, so something I've noticed with my limited exposure to clinics is there are certain behaviors that apparently only occur at the clinic, right? And th they don't do these at home. Are you guys, do you guys have those conversations with parents as well? Like, I don't understand why he does it there. He doesn't do any of it here. And then you turn around and like, how long has he been on that iPad? <laughs> you know, is that like, how do you navigate those difficult conversations? I guess is what I'm leading to, you know? Yeah. I mean, I feel a little bit like a broken record, but like with compassion. <laughs> you would assume that would be the easy answer. But yeah. But I mean, I think it's easier said than done, right? Because I, I'm sure you guys can all relate. Sometimes you'll be in a meeting with a parent um, and they'll bring up something like that. Well, they listen to you really well, but they never listen to me. Um, and inside you might be thinking, yeah, I wrote you a plan and like, I know you're not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but the reality is the vast majority of the time, if, if a parent is struggling to kind of deal with a behavior or to follow a plan or something, it's not because they're, they don't want to, or they don't care. It's because they don't have the time to do the intervention that you wrote. 
they, you know, you may have failed on giving them the training that was that was sufficient for them to be able to manage that behavior, right? Um, and so rather than kind of, you know, jumping down anybody's throat, it's sort of a team, a team effort, right? You're looking for that collaborative aspect of, okay, well, let's talk about where maybe it might be hard for you to do, or let's talk about where the differences might be between what's happening in the clinic and what's happening at home um, and trying to approach it that way. Awesome. All right. So I'm looking at you. So what kind of, um, what kind of age range of students do y'all generally work with? Like what, and what do y'all, what do y'all find is best for y'all and what's the fit for y'all when it comes to, you know, as little kids, older adolescents, you know, and you, what, what kind of age range do you all generally operate with? Sure. Our course, um, we have a course called Tackling the Tantrum, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. I was literally um, just about to bring that up. So. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a course called Tackling the Tantrum, um, which is focused on kind of that toddler age. Um, but I think between Jenny and I, we've worked with all ages. I think the youngest client I ever worked with was like 19 months and the oldest client I ever worked with was 23. So really broad <laughs> age range. Um, I'm sure Johnny is probably in the same boat. Um, so as far as consultation goes, uh, pretty much all ages when we're talking about kids. Um, for the course specifically, it is aimed at kind of that toddler age range. Um, that's another, I feel like I'm picking on BCBAs. Some of them deserve it. You love it. them. You are one. It's okay, Jenny. Some of them deserve it, but so, that's okay. <laughs> and there's some school psychs out there that deserve it as well, all right? So I feel like, I mean, I think that's that's how we get better. If we hold yeah. our field to a higher standard. <laughs> um, that's a bit of a problem with the clinic model, right? Is like, you know, business, people do what we did and they were direct in the field and they did all the aggressive stuff and they, hand, and they get to a point where they're like, I'm opening a business and I want to be ages two to seven and autism only. And if they're aggressive, they can't come. And I fully understand wanting that at a point in your life, just from a simplicity business standpoint. Yeah. But that means that there's like a lot of kids that are screwed. And then there's a lot of families who basically feel like they've failed because they didn't get services at a certain age or they still need services and can't find them. Um, so consultation for sure, like it's very important to us that there is no cap. Um, We've never been in a situation to turn a client away. The only reason we would is if we felt like we couldn't help. It would never be like, no, we just don't want to. Like, we don't do this anymore. It's too hard. <laughs> They're too old. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We only work uh, with attending a task. So that's all. That's great. One, <laughs> one thing. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, what was I going to say? Oh, I just started working with a parent on creating like safe behavior using dating apps for their kid. And like, how ah. cool is that? Because somebody needs to know that you can't just send people out into the world who don't know that just because someone's nice to you doesn't mean they're actually a good person. Like there's so much stuff all the time that needs to be worked on if there's an opportunity for it. Um, so yeah, I don't think there's an age cutoff. <laughs> 2022, bring it in. Good job. <laughs> this is a little plug, but have you seen Love on the Spectrum? Yeah. Yes. I it's love so it. good. It's, it's so, so good. Yeah, I love it. Phenomenal. And uh, it brings up so, so much. We're like, are we being too hard on people? And we should just let them do their thing because they're working it out. And then sometimes you're like, uh oh, what about that client that has worked in, you know, been in therapy since they were five? Like, did we not give them any social skills? And then they just turned 18 and like, went out the door. 
I feel like it's such a good big picture. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously in, in a lot of our work in special education and in schools, we deal with a lot of um, culturally and linguistically diverse learners. And so y'all having worked in California, now mm-hmm. operating in Texas, particularly, you know, a lot of cultural and linguistic diversity, particularly some more Spanish speaking populations, mm-hmm. um, Hispanic um, cultural background. So as a BCBA in working with these families, what does that mean for your work to have these this um, cultural and linguistic diversity component to your work? Yeah, I mean, I think from a practical perspective, it requires a lot of thinking about that kind of social validity aspect. Um, because I definitely, I had a situation where I was a baby, baby BCBA, um, <laughs> thought I was very smart and knew everything. They knew um, it all, right? <laughs> I knew everything. The early years. <laughs> the early years, yeah. Um, and I went into a um, client's home. They were from um, Armenia. And we were talking about a particular goal that I was like, this is so important and we really need to hit this because I can see this deficit and I can see that deficit and we've got to do it. And the family was like, why? Yeah. <laughs> like, that. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. That's, that's like not <laughs> at the time, you know, I was very taken aback by that. So I was lucky to have that very early in my career <laughs> because it, it, you know, you have to be very flexible. Right with what you sort of are are tackling in the home because you want that social validity. If it's not going to (laughs) matter to this particular client's social immediately immediate social group, which is their family, right, or their community, um, it's not that important. And you can and you can move on. Okay, I have a story like that too. (laughs) It's literally the exact same thing. I was meeting a family for the first time, and the mom was showing me around, and she was like, "This is my office." She's like, "It's also." Um, it was like this, like we take turns sleeping in here because like the, the daughter always has to sleep with one of us and we take turns, like kind of who gets a bad night's sleep with her and who gets a good night's sleep. And I was like, awesome, let's work on this. And the mom nicely was like, oh, we're Asian. And it's like, not a big deal for us if our kids sleep in our bed. (laughs) Like, I'm dumb. I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't say, do you want to work on it? I went in being like, well, I know what we're doing. Um, So that didn't quite, <laughs> that's not quite. No, no, that was good. That's good. Can we, I, I do want to backtrack a little bit. So you talked about it. What's the tackling the tantrum course? Oh, yay. Working with littles, I'm assuming, or grown men. I mean, that could be the same thing for them too, I'm sure. So. <laughs> I mean, it, the tenants are the same. They might need to work <laughs> on translating, but the basic, um, yeah. Kimberly, you want to take this one? Sure. Um, yeah, so our, our course is centered on um, a couple of different things. So first of all, obviously, the really practical tips, right? How do you practically prevent a tantrum from happening in the first place? How do you handle it when it does happen? Um, and all of that sort of thing, right? Um, but then the other component, which I think is really important and really unique, is we're talking a lot about how parents can kind of take care of themselves and have compassion for themselves in this process. Because what we've seen in our work over the years is that, um, you know, kids will be having lots of tantrums and parents will come to us in tears sometimes going, I'm a terrible parent. I can't do this. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, Just having very little compassion for themselves, frankly. And so this is something that we really wanted to address. So there's also a very significant portion of the um, course that is talking about 
how do you take a step back and take a deep breath? And how do you tell yourself that you're doing okay? And it's okay that this situation is happening. This happens to everyone, right? Um, so those are sort of, I think, the two components of the course that we really, really wanted to focus on those practical tips, but then also that parent component um, of kind of that, that anti-blame, anti-shame viewpoint of parenting. It's, it's, it's definitely built in behavior analysis. Um, we also, both of us have a, I think you could call like an intermediate skill set using acceptance and commitment therapy techniques, particularly with parents um, in order to help them implement interventions with their child. Um, so that's a lot of, there's a lot of that in there. And so probably a very bad definition of what acceptance and commitment therapy is, is um, therapy, it's all based in behavior analysis. It's the idea that your thoughts are a behavior like anything else. And if we can modify outward behavior, then we can help modify private events. Um, and a lot of what we do, or a lot of how we act has to do with essentially trying to get away from painful private events. So you're at the grocery store, your kid hits the ground crying hysterically because of a box of cereal. If you're sitting there thinking like, everyone thinks I'm the worst mom in the world, like nobody wants that. So then your next move is to like grab the cereal, grab your kid, get out of there as fast as possible, which works in a second. But then you're in your car being like, well, now I'm the worst mom in the world because <laughs> I just gave into a tantrum. Like, so now I feel crappy about that. Um, so using techniques to help not be so affected by those negative events and be able to frame your actions and kind of choose your actions, right? Be empowered to choose what you want to do in those moments rather than just reacting to feeling badly. Um, so that is a big chunk of the work we do with parents in general, but what we wanted to do our best to bring into our course mm -hmm. is teaching things that might feel familiar, but actually making them doable by addressing the reasons that they weren't doable before. So as a newish parent, as a kid's three now, um, those You're moments prime like, tantrum years prime oh tantrum years. my god <laughs> and, and, and is right in front of mine but just <laughs> that first i mean so first of all you always go into any type of parenthood and i'm sure brooke will say it too where you're like my kid's not gonna do that and then the first chance they get they're like watch this bro and you know just a full down tantrum in floor and decor because we're trying to pick out new floors and you want to climb up on them because i don't know why they had to stack them like freaking stairs but he wants to climb them. And my wife, the, my, the beautiful BCBA, she pulls him <laughs> down and he's throwing a tantrum. And I'm like, Jenny, exactly what you said. I'm like, yeah, I'll just take him outside. She's like, no, <laughs> you're not going to take him outside. He is going to sit here and we're going to wait. And he's just full on like spread eagle on the floor, kicking and screaming and yelling. And I'm like, I'm just going to go look at this uh, linoleum on the floor real fast. To get their child. No one from school sees. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, this is floor and decor. This isn't a supermarket. This isn't HEB. So people, right. there's like one random guy who's like, just like staring at the kid. And Ashley's like, he's fine. We just get on water. My wife's like, well, like he's it's fine. okay. I'm a professional. I'm a professional. I'm, I'm a licensed. I'm licensed. You can keep on walking. But uh, yeah, those moments it's are real. Almost, yep. I, I think it's almost worse because um, you know, my daughter's five and a half. Because you have like the continual schedule, just like there's tantrums just all the time. Mm -hmm. you no, know, like right now. Whereas like I get lulled into a false sense of security because she's five and a half. You're like, you think she's so you're like, that. you're like, oh, we're good. We're past this. Like everything's fine. And then like, a rant, like we couldn't find her goggles for swimming the other day. And I was like, 
oh crap no we're not fine we're still like right in the right. middle but like you go so long like you'll have like you'll cruise along for a couple of weeks you're like oh the, everything's so wonderful now it's great like we're past all this and then you get a slap in the face reminder of like oh we're we're not past this <laughs> it's uh, always right under you, the surface you get, you get unpre- of- yeah you get you get out of shape you get, you get out of tantrum shape like real fast <laughs> But we, I feel like it's so easy to think about from the adult side where you're like, oh God, like this really, but like your poor daughter, because she's also like, I needed my goggles and I can't find them. And everyone is telling me to calm down. And that's so like, so everyone is miserable in those moments. Like It's not like one of you is winning. And so that's another thing that we wanted to talk about is like, that's such a good example of like, no, we're going to wait and ignore him, which is absolutely how we would have handled those things like potentially in a clinic. We don't advise that in our course for this because parents aren't BCBAs and your wife is probably much more equipped to handle feeling really guilty about it. Um, So that's another thing that is in our course is like what to do during those tantrums. And we talk a lot about kind of helping your child communicate and how do you identify what they need in those moments? Like don't give them the cereal, but like help them say like, I'm really sad we're not getting cereal, right? So that you're kind of, using those tantrums as teaching opportunities also so that everyone feels a little bit better about getting through it rather than feeling like it's just this giant power struggle so we also that's also in there this this kind of reminds me of a counseling case i had a few years ago for a high school male um who had just had a breakup and he was like i was in love with her and in my mind I remember thinking back, like my parents, like, oh, you don't even know what love is, but it's like their, their brain, this is what love is to them, right? Like, I get that they don't know that, like, you will be fine past this, but when you're 15 or 16 and you've been with one person and they break your heart for whatever dumb high school reason, that's love and you're heartbroken in that moment, right? So having to like have that conversation with them, like you would with my 30 year old friend who maybe just got a divorce or something like it's the same conversation because in their mind, they're rationalizing this as this is the true love of my life and she's not yeah. here anymore. It's you know? really it's real, real, you know, if you, if you right. wanted like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you, Jenny, <laughs> um, but it's real. I mean, even, you know, toddler problems are real problems <laughs> about toddler, right? If you wanted the dino chicken nuggets and then mom gave you the regular chicken nuggets, that's the worst thing that's ever happened to you because you old and nothing's <laughs> happened to you yet. Yeah. You know? Or so, I mean, that's a rookie mistake, though, not getting the dino nuggets. That's very true. Let's be honest. It is you a rookie mistake, but it happens to the best of us, you know? <laughs> or, you know, instead of getting ketchup out of the bottle, you got ketchup out of an old Whataburger thing that you just had happened to save over from the previous time you went. It's Ooh. not the same. It's not the same. <laughs> <laughs> we, like, we love a good tantrum war story on the surface, but, like, as clinicians, I think it is also important for us to, like, kind of make sure that everyone is looking at it from the toddler side because I think and it's back to the beginning it's the same as like if a parent says to you in a meeting like you're terrible at your job my kid's not getting better that's your fault you can say well that person's a jerk or you can say like oh my gosh how sad for this person that they're not seeing any progress that their kid is making like this is a huge problem right it's the same for if you can help or if we can help families see that when a kid is tantruming like it sucks for everyone, but they're not doing it necessarily like to you, like it's happening to them and you're caught in the crossfires. But if we can shift the experience of like those really rough tantrum years and like make them not seem so much of a battle between adult and child, 
then I think we'll have done at least part of our job by making all of that seem more bearable and more like constructive. Hey, Brooke, do you have any old war stories since you're the only ground kid? <laughs> I mean, I've tan- I've tantrumed quite a bit. So. I'm not talking about you. Yeah. 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 Um, no, I think one of the things that I really, uh, you know, I appreciate about Jenny and, and Kimberly um, just is that they are approaching their work from the anti-blame attitude. You know, they're looking at it's more than just what's that function, what's that maintaining, um, you know, reinforcer or what's the maintaining punisher um, of this problem. And they're really trying to get into um, understanding the the human aspect. And uh, we did a, a you know, Chris and I did a, a kind of a pre-meeting with, uh, with with Kimberly and, and Jenny, and that was one of the, my takeaways is like, they really have the compassion for the parents that they're working with. Um, and, and I think they have something to teach us as school psychologists. Um, I think a lot of times we get into, we get caught into that blame game of, well, the kid is doing this because there's no discipline at home or, um, you know, whatever reason we pick, um, or choose (laughs) or, or guess at. And, and so I think this is a really good reminder for us that when we're sitting at those tables going over results with parents or when we're working, uh, when we're calling parents um, and kind of, you know, they're, maybe they're not able to come to a meeting. Um, we really have to, um, you know, take that, that parent's perspective. And there could be a myriad of things that's, that's going on in their lives that makes that particular situation an inconvenience for us. Um, and so this is this has been kind of a mindful minute for me uh, to, to sit back and go, okay, you know, we've got to really recenter and uh, reframe um, the things that, 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 we, uh, that we find to be uh, sometimes problematic in our own work. So I really appreciate you guys and, and the time that y'all spent with us, um, uh, you know, talking with us. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think, what a nice um, wrap up after this. Thank you. Know, Brooke, coming in, coming in with the heat at the end, bro. <laughs> oh, watch the battery. I think like the, the social media era that we're in now has like accelerated this trend of like super fundamental attribution error to where, mm-hmm. we, you know, everything that goes on with anyone else is due to their character and who they are as an individual. And I'm the only one for whom external circumstances Mm -hmm. are the reasons for my behavior because we're all quick to say like oh this is a bad person or bad choices or you know moral character flaws for everyone else but for me there's there's all these explaining factors of course yeah um and so it's just a great reminder i think to to back i mean that was a huge fundamental attribution error was a huge problem before social media and i think it's only made it about ten thousand times worse and so yeah, I agree with Brooke. It's a great reminder to be like, we need to stop and, 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 and think about how, you know, what's going on is not because everyone else is horrible. Um, everyone else has external environmental factors that are going on too, that are making their lives hard. Um, and I think it was, I think it was Charles, Charles Barrett. Um, he I'm, I'm going to butcher what he says, but he says like, he starts from the stance that all parents are doing the best that they can to do the best for their kids. Um, and that may not be where we want them to be or what we, you know, what they want, we want them to be doing, but ultimately like that, it's the belief that 
parents are doing the best that they can in their abilities to do the best for their kids. And so starting there is just important. Great, Shaquille. Thank you. All right, Jenny, Kimberly, at the end of every episode, we like to have rapid questions. Typically, if we have one guess, it's a quick answer, but because we have two guests and you guys are friends and know each other, we're going to do a couple's question, all right? So it's going to be a basically her or her type of question, but Dr. Baker's going to take them and you guys just say who would be most likely to do something. Cool. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. So whichever name yourself or the, your friend that comes to mind when you think of this. So most likely to shape the other's behavior. Jenny. Because <laughs> because Jenny, Jenny was my uh, was my supervisor when I was getting my BCB. Oh. <laughs> so definitely Jenny. Like, oh, <laughs> I like, she's like, yep, that's me. Yep, okay. Yep. <laughs> Intentionally or not. It's in there. Um, most likely to be better at video games. Me. Kimberly. Kimberly. That was well, a quick then. one. <laughs> yeah. cool jock of this duo and I'm the nerd. <laughs> so any of the nerd questions, it's going to be me. That's great. Nice. But you're still competitive. You're still competitive. I like oh, it. Oh, for sure. Um, most likely to lock themselves out of the house. Me. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a tie. That might be a tie. I think uh, we've both locked ourselves out of a fair share of buildings and cars and everything. Well, the, nice. well, the follow-up question is, have you guys ever done that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I went through a phase where I locked myself out of my car so often in such a short amount of time that my car insurance company forcibly removed like locksmith assistance from my insurance policy. Okay, Kimberly, that's, that's hilarious. Impressive. I'm not even mad. That's very impressive. No, that's hilarious because I over, I like used too many AAA calls in a certain amount of time for the same thing. And they're like, if you do this again, we have to charge you. <laughs> what I'm hearing is cars so are maybe the issues. <laughs> wow. We will come to your house on time. That part is not a problem, but don't look in the back seat of our car and like, don't look at how messy our notes are. But like, when we are with you, you won't know this about us. <laughs> Brilliant minds always are that way. So, yeah. <laughs> um, most likely to start up a conversation with a stranger. Jenny. Oh, I was gonna say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see me for real? Yeah. Really? Well, no, I think you. Well, maybe it's about environment because we said jock and nerd. So depending on the environment, that maybe who strikes that up the conversation, sense. right? That's true. That's what very are we behavioral. About? Yeah. What What is your fandom, Kimberly? Do you have a <laughs> fandom? Uh, I'm a Legend of Zelda fan. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. Big Legend of Zelda fan. And Ginny, what's your go-to sport? Uh, weightlifting. Nice. See? Oh. Perfect. <laughs> we're, we're quite the odd couple for sure yeah <laughs> oh that's perfect um most likely to spend their money on something silly i think kimberly <laughs> <laughs> it's like clothes and stuff for sure yeah okay <laughs> space lamp <laughs> your space lamp yeah my space lamp that's true i did just buy a space lamp for like 85 dollars so well that makes sense that's logical <laughs> It's practical. It's a lamb. It's yeah. practical. That's right. Um, most likely to keep a secret. Ooh, Jenny. I think it's <laughs> okay. Keep a secret like in a sinister way, or like I'm a really good friend, I'll keep your secret. Oh, that's a great question. That's, that's a really now I want to know both. Yeah. I think we're both pretty good at keeping each other's yeah. secrets. 
Yeah. I think who we is did like sort of secretly start this business. So we're already like well-versed. It's now obviously out in the open, but when we were still like figuring out how this was going to work and all that, it was a bit of a secret. So we might be tied. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Well, and the last one is just something that we ask all the guests. Um, is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? Who <laughs> Jenny is vegan, so she should answer this question. I'm a carnivore. Ooh. I would eat that cracker no matter what. Did you know, Jane, you're the second vegan we've had on this, so I'm intrigued to see oh if you can align up with the other one. Okay, first of all, animal crackers are vegan. Fun fact. So have at it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the like definitive answer. The vegan yeah. has spoken. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, what did the what did the other one say? What did the other vegan say? She, I along the same line she agreed with you. <laughs> she said eat whatever the hell you want to eat when you're vegan you got to take what you can get so whatever options are available to you. resources are limited <laughs> oh jenny kimberly i want to thank you guys for coming on here what are some last words of advice you may have for any parents or school psychs or other bcbas that are listening right now okay it's corny but i believe this deeply is like you have to be a human being first like before you go to your clinical or what you think is right, like be a human, think about what you would do on a human level. And then you can go from there. Yeah. I think have compassion for yourself. It doesn't matter if you're a parent, if you are a clinician of any kind, um, I think clinicians also need to have a lot of compassion for themselves and patience with themselves. Um, nobody's perfect and you don't have to be either. <laughs> We're all just trying our very best. <laughs> We are. We're all just trying our damn best. We're all just treading water at this point. Well, I want to thank you guys. For Jen, Kia, Brooke, I'm Chris. Remember to follow all of our official TAS Facebook and Instagram accounts at TXASP, where you can get all the update info on what's happening in our field and what the board is currently up to. You can also follow Jenny and Kimberly at Homemade Happy, where you can yep. see all their updates on what's going on with them. Do you guys have a website or anything else? Uh, yeah. We do, homemadehappy.com. Homemadehappy.com. Find us on Instagram first, because there's more good stuff on there. Oh yeah, it's good stuff, guys. A lot of good information, <laughs> some funny reels going on. It's good stuff there. Um, you can also email us at podcast.txasp.org if you have any questions you want us to answer or comments or corrective feedback. If you want us to keep producing comment, go give us five stars, leave us a review, like us, subscribe to us, and remember, make good choices.